0: Hey everyone, and thanks for joining us here again at ASAP Nowcast, the podcast for ASAP Now. I'm Amy Ho, ER doctor and ASAP Now assistant editor, and your host of this podcast. Now, for a lot of emergency medicine physicians, if you have spent any time in the past few weeks watching the industry, looking at social media, reading certain Facebook groups, talking to your friends, One of the top things on our minds is definitely workforce. In particular, with the many changeovers of hospitals and groups as a result of certain businesses, we've all had a lot of questions on our mind. What has some of these changeovers done to the emergency physician? What does it mean for the doctors directly affected? What does it mean for the doctors who are all inevitably indirectly affected because this is our industry. This is going to shape how business is done in our careers. Um, What does it mean for how we feel about the stability of our current jobs, of our current careers, or of our next jobs? And does it shape how we even think about the longevity of our careers, about our current job, our next jobs? There's a lot of questions on everyone's minds. And we're certainly still in the transition period and feeling that out of what it means for all of us. Now, ASAP has been very active in this. In particular, they have been providing support for many members who are directly affected. And while there are obvious limitations on detail that can be explicitly shared, I thought this was a good time to spend actually the entire obvious podcast of ASAP Now talking workforce. We'll be talking more in the magazine in September, specifically about APP's closing, especially as the transition shakes out this month in August. But in the meantime, we have a sneak preview with a podcast only chat with someone who knows a little something about workforce, Dr. Leon Adelman. Today, we have a really interesting guest. Um, He's an emergency physician, but chances are you've actually seen him all over emergency medicine social media. And when I met this guest, we actually um, happened to have a dinner together, and it was an interesting time for emergency medicine because American Physician Partners had just announced that it was closing its doors. And Dr. Leon Adelman, who is our guest here um, and also the founder of Ivy Clinicians, had already started a really interesting crowdsourced document tracking the contract changes as well as a, uh, let's call it, punchy newsletter that I think has a really great insight in workforce. So we had to have him on. So Leon, I want to say thank you again for coming and chatting with us.
1: Well Amy, it's it's a real honor to be a part of your podcast and uh, it's a real honor to be discussing emergency medicine with you. Your contributions are are just awesome. You have a um you're a social media influencer, you've written written a children's book, you're an informatics guru, you're a, a leader in a, um, a growing um physician group. So congrats on all you've done.
0: No, thank you. That That's like super, super kind. And I mean, I was just so impressed by how much I've been seeing you in Ivy. Um, and the first thing I wanted to talk about is um, definitely your involvement with figuring out contracts after APP, quote, closed its doors. But first, Give me an overview about you for our audience, about IV. Like your story is really fascinating.
1: Yeah. So glad to glad to share kind of my backstory. So I'm I'm an emergency physician, um, 12 years out now, Um, was on the admin path for a long time. So I was assistant medical director and then medical director at two large rural emergency departments. And a few things happened. One was... um, my wife is an ER nurse, and I was watching all this like amazing staffing tech happening in in nursing, and I was like, wow, we don't really have much uh, much cool technology in staffing and in uh, in um, emergency medicine or for physicians in general. And then the other is, I realized every time I change jobs, I I was like, wow, it's really hard to even figure out like the basics of who staffs which ER, much less like, is this a good place to work? Is it a bad place to work? Like getting all the basic information was just really hard to find. And as a medical director, it was also really hard to recruit to rural sites because there's no or part of the issue is that there's no safe place for us to put ourselves, let say put ourselves on the market. And so Watching the staffing tech in nursing really uh, flourish, and then seeing this big problem of lack of technology helping us navigate the the emergency medicine uh, job market made me jump into entrepreneurship and start IV clinicians.
0: And tell me a little bit about what does IV clinicians do? Yes,
1: yeah, so we start with transparency. So what we've done is connect every emergency department in the country, so all 6,000 ERs. We've connected the emergency department with its emergency medicine groups, the employer of the physicians, PAs, and nurse practitioners. We've then connected that with the in-house recruiting team and connected all of that with lots of information about both the facility and uh, and the group, whether the group is um, clinician-owned or health system or... Private equity owned, you can you can find that and how big it is. And then on the hospital side, there's lots of quality metrics and, um, and kind of demographic stuff, how many patients are seen at that ER and whether there's a residency, that kind of thing. What we do with that information is then make it searchable in the same way that you would search on Zillow or Airbnb. So you start with the geography, you search on the map, you then can filter by what you're looking for. Instead of bedrooms and bathrooms, it's uh, whether there's whether it's critical access and how many patients, whatever else you want to filter by, and then you can apply directly to the places that you want to apply to.
0: And doing this work, I mean, is like an insane amount of data mining. And I'm like a data person too, so I read through your methods and it was basically like step one. we looked at Medicare, step two, we looked at this data, step three, we looked at this data. and then like eight steps down, you're like, then we just go manually curate it, um, which is just absolutely incredible um, the amount of work it does. And what what really struck me is um, APP, announced that it was closing its doors and i swear like that day i saw an em docs like you had posted this google drive sheet which ended up being amplified by asap about which contracts were at risk which ones had you know the correct contact information who were the new groups who were the contact info for the new groups or physicians that were there like how did you jimmy that together how did the amplification with asap happen like I mean, I saw that thing everywhere, but I'm sure you actually know about how widely that thing was shared.
1: Yeah, it was, it was very cool to watch because on, on Google Sheets, you can kind of see who is who's on the shared spreadsheet. And there was always for, for weeks, um, there was always six to maybe even 20 people on this spreadsheet at, at once. So it really took off. Um, Part of the reason that this shared spreadsheet took off, I I think it's a combination of of three things. One is that the APP um, collapse was such a train wreck and everybody, there's a a natural human tendency to kind of crane your head at, at train wrecks. And then the second thing is that there was a kind of Game of Thrones style scramble for for mm-hmm. growth and power, right? There are like sixteen hundred ER groups out there, and now there's one hundred and twenty five emergency medicine sites that all of a sudden are up for grabs. Everybody's fighting for for these contracts, and so there's there's a lot of um, I think curiosity about who's going to win this this mini Game of Thrones power dynamic within emergency medicine, then there's also, I think, a desire within emergency medicine for more transparency. Usually, we don't get to see who, you know, which contract goes where, and this spreadsheet allowed us to to share with each other the information about who got what contract.
0: Yeah, and and I I love how you described this, that it was just like Game of Thrones, like, I mean, because that's exactly what the scramble was. And I feel like, um, I mean, I have very strong opinions about, you know, healthcare as an industry as a whole, but, you know, in brief, I think what happens in these, let's call it corporate shuffles. And I don't mean CMG. I just mean, um, you know, provider groups, physician groups, um, and hospital, you know, uh, clients. Like, I feel like what happens in these scrambles is inevitably the ER doc loses. Like, these scrambles are not good for the ER doc. And I think you bring up a really good point that transparency is key here. So, so kind of, you told us a little bit about IV. You told us a little bit about um, definitely what seems like a passion project for the ER workforce and, and in a lot of ways, enabling the ER doctor to make good job decisions. Like, tell me about how you think what you're doing with IV, with you know the spreadsheet. We'll talk about your lo- newsletter in a second. How does that kind of jive with the the changes in the ER industry to you?
1: Yeah, so I think big picture, what we've gone through over the last 10, 20, maybe even 30 years is this rapid transition from emergency physician practices, where what, what was the smart thing to do was you find your group you become a partner and you hold on for dear life right like it, <laughs> things things become really good when you're like with your with your your physician partners and you have you have control as a as a group um and you divvy up the the financials and the and the decision making and all that in that kind of world transparency isn't doesn't really, isn't all that important because word of mouth can get you future partners that, that you want, you really want to bring in, you want to be kind of the club that's hard to get into, right? Well, over the last few decades, that has quickly morphed into a marketplace where physicians are non-owners. So about three quarters of emergency physicians are non-owners of their practice and if you are the labor side of a kind of capital or management and labor dynamic, in order for you to get a good deal in the marketplace, you need to be able to kind of compare different um, different alternatives. And have some competition within the market, so you need you need some liquidity, you need options, but you also need transparency. You need to know, kind of within each of those options, what your what your negotiating uh, options are. And so, what what we've been trying to do with Ivy is bring that transparency and bring that choice to emergency medicine, so that physicians can negotiate for better deals, so that groups can compete for physicians based on their own quality and their own ability to, to take care of their team.
0: And I, I think what I'm kind of hearing um, from you is that medicine, emergency medicine is moving a little bit more to where physicians are the, quote, labor. Like, it's not as common to have partnership equity. And I'm seeing you, you, you nod. I, I guess my only question with transparency is – do we hurt ourselves sometimes? Like, is it like, hey, Leon will work for X dollars, but Amy will work for $5 less than X dollars? Like, like, do we race to the bottom ourselves? Like, is there any risk for that? Or are we, like, it, how do we not um, operating in this kind of marketplace, which I don't think doctors feel like we are, you know, the labor force in marketplaces necessarily. Um, like, how does that, you know, kind of, can all go together. Yeah, that's a that's
1: a really great point. In a marketplace where there's supply and demand and the price for certain services isn't preset, there are two ways it can go, right? You can you, in in that competition, wages can go down or they can go up. My essentially the the hypothesis that we're working from is looking at at labor markets where um where things are really good for the 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 workers so the two that that come to mind most um most clearly in connection to emergency medicine one is sports or pro- professional athletics right so before there was free agency athletes weren't you know weren't treated all that all that great and they weren't Uh, they they certainly weren't compensated the way they are. Then with free agency, there's competition for a limited set of people with really specialized skills that are in demand and labor prices, prices for their work went way up and and also satisfaction within those organizations went way up, both for the owners and for for the, the athletes. Same thing with tech, right? So in california there are no non competes and so with tech there is if you're if you're a developer it is common to change jobs every 2 years that you see people you can look on linkedin and and at like an average developer is like oh I, w- I was at um i was at google and then i was at microsoft and then i was at netflix and they they just assume that they're going to change jobs all the time and there's lots of transparency and lots of competition um and so within those models, uh, liquidity and transparency were were empowering for the workers. And that that's how I see things for emergency medicine in the future.
0: I, I think you have just like a fascinating thought on the market. Like you talk about it like an economist. I know you have your MBA, but it's like I know you're also like an emergency medicine physician. And, and to pivot a little bit, um, you actually write a newsletter, I think in conjunction with Ivy, if I'm, if I'm not correct. But I, I wanted to you know, have you touch on that, what your purpose with it is. Um, I think some of your uh, thoughts, especially on the big CMGs, has gone very widely um, in emergency medicine. But yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so,
1: so to be fully transparent about the relationship between emergency medicine workforce, the emergency medicine workforce newsletter and Ivy clinicians. So Ivy is a four person company And so, basically, um, Ivy and emergency medicine workforce are both me and, uh, or me and our very small team, and uh, and we cross um, cross promote. So, yeah, one supports the the other. Um, In terms of what the newsletter is about, is Using the the knowledge that we're getting through IV clinicians, essentially all the learnings that that we're getting by having a, a market wide view, turning that into education, turning that into answering key questions about the business and profession of of emergency medicine.
0: Now, I, I want you to elaborate on the knowledge. I think I touched on this really really briefly that there's like eight layers to this because I I remember when I was um, coming out of residency looking. For my first um, and actually, luckily, only job, uh, you know, I basically like asked some people, like, "Hey, here's the place I am. Like, what groups are there? What's the good hospitals? Like, can you connect me to someone?" Like, very, very um, unofficial. So, I think that the knowledge acquisition you're talking about here is not trivial. I would love for you to to kind of touch on that.
1: Yeah. So, so in order to kind of understand the whole market of emergency medicine you're exactly right it's um it is very much a full-time operation both to get the information about what's happening up at the contract level but also like what what tides are uh are shifting within within our landscape and so um so what i write about every week or two is kind of the biggest question that I find within within the market. So um for a while there it was the Envision bankruptcy. And so the question was well first of all, why is Envision going bankrupt? I mean they they're owned by this huge private equity company, KKR, they were they were bought for $9.9 billion. How could they possibly go bankrupt? So that was that's the big question of the moment. And then there's a secondary question. Once they do go bankrupt, well they still exist, right? So they're in Chapter 11, which means they're being restructured. They're being restructured by a bunch of banks. And those banks don't want to run ERs. That's not what these banks do. So then the question is, like, who's going to buy this thing, right? So they still they still staff, like, 400 ERs and a bunch of other specialties. And so that was a question for, for a week. So, so that's kind of how I go about... Um, figuring out what to write about in the newsletter.
0: And I think you get a really incredible perspective because of the knowledge that you get through IV, of course, just, you know, your own opinions and you're, you're clearly passionate about this topic. Um, and I think the, the times we're living in right now, like with Envision, APP, are actually really interesting for the industry. Like any thoughts, like unofficial, of course, uh, on emergency medicine as a field in like six months, one year, six years, 10 years, whatever.
1: Yeah, great question. Um there are obviously a lot of challenges that that we we face. I think that you know, if you talk to any emergency physician right now, there's like a lot of gloom in our specialty and a lot of um hopelessness in a way that that you know, I, I certainly didn't feel when I when I got out of residency in, in 2011. Um, the the I guess the positive of that is that the, the darkness is uh, or uh, the night is often the darkest before the dawn if you will that changes <laughs> seem to be coming. Um, part of that is this like transparency-based marketplace, where now Mercy physicians are, are really in demand. And so um, physicians are getting offered some really – a very large <laughs> – Compensation package to do their their job, partly because there's a lot of attrition in, in emergency medicine. Um, emergency departments have kept growing, and so and so board-certified emergency physicians really are in demand. The other the other factor is that um because it is so clear to Anybody around us that this system is broken, we've gotten the attention of policymakers in a way that that hadn't been there in the past. So things like pediatric boarding. There was a, a policy statement that was put out by the American Academy of Pediatrics and, and the Emergency Nurses Association and ASAP just, just this week about the problems with pediatric boarding. And that went viral online, and multiple states are are setting up legislation to to better manage their pediatric um, psychiatric patients so i really think that um things are rough right now i wouldn't be surprised if in five years things are much better for emergency physicians much like anesthesia went through a rough time in the 1990s and now everybody wants to be an anesthesiologist because it's such amazing
0: yeah and i like your perspective a lot like i agree Gloom and doom is pervasive now. Like we can definitely tell from the recent like match that ER is not the darling specialty um, because of a lot of reasons. I think asap has been uh, highly involved in that, and I love what you said about the policy side because again, like ASEP is highly involved in that. Um, you kind of mentioned when we were we were chatting that you've always been a bit of a like ASEP lifer. Um, do you mind touching on that, like especially with your perspective on the workforce and your experience with ASEP? Um, how do you feel like one plays into the other?
1: Yeah, so I've been privileged to be part of ASAP um, right out of residency. I did the Leadership and Advocacy Fellowship at in the Massachusetts, Massachusetts College of Emergency Physicians, then started that fellowship when I was on the board of the Virginia College of Emergency Physicians. I really think that um, we as emergency physicians are – uniquely skilled at problem solving, not just at the local level, but really at the state and and national level. And being part of ASEP, and I'm also um, part of AAEM, I'm FAAEM. I I think both those organizations have have a ton to give and have different perspectives that are complementary to each other. Um, And I think that if we... We know that we can't just focus at the local level because we see firsthand when where the health system breaks down. When it breaks down, patients come to us. And we know that we're not going to solve that system just by treating that one patient. We have to both treat that patient and think more broadly and solve the systemic issues. And ACEP does a really nice job at that. Day.
0: And to me, I think that's what makes... Um, emergency medicine really special. Like we know that we're there for emergencies. Like it is the worst day of someone's life. So we see bad things. But the the takeaway for me is how do we take what we experience um, from what patients tell us and turn that into advocacy? Like I actually think that's greatly protective for um, burnout. A- and I, like I agree with you. I think ASAP does a great job at it. But I think that engagement is what is a uh, super key-, key. So I think you've done a great job with that, which is, you know, engagement requires knowledge. And I think you're putting out a lot of knowledge out there.
1: Yeah, it's uh, like you're saying, it's, it is it is a a passion project um, in that you, know, you don't have to be around emergency physicians for long before you really want to kind of help the team, right? We're all on the same team. And uh, when our team is getting battered the way it is, um, it, it, it's inspiring to, to see what I can do to help. Yeah.
0: And I I think we've kind of, you know, let this conversation start being about the line doc. Like I want to hear, do you have any thoughts for ER doctors on the job hunt now, especially with everything you've seen <laughs> with starting Ivy?
1: The good news is there are plenty of opportunities and, the, and there are a few kind of uh, tips and tricks that are that are worth discussing. One is that rural emergency medicine is an amazing place to practice right now. In that, um, pay is higher for rural spots than than urban. Generally, um, there's a lot of there's more demand for our services for board certified emergency physicians in rural sites than than we are able to staff as as board certified emergency physicians because most the vast majority of emergency physicians live in uh, in cities. So so tip one is think rural if um if possible. um tip two is is think broadly, right? So, it used to be a little bit you know it's a little bit like dating right so so 30 years ago before the interwebs you know dating was whoever came to the bar or your friends friends and and that was it in emergency medicine when i when i finished residency it was well i i talked to my Program director and and the chairman of the department was was like, well, I'm moving to DC. Who do you know? That that's how it was. <laughs> now there's so many resources. Um, EM Docs jobs on Facebook is is really fantastic, and Sanjay Ayer, who who runs that, is is really a fantastic guy with uh, using all the right um, criteria for those job posts um and so i would use all of your resources to make sure you have plenty of options when you're when you're making your decision third is the employer matters often more than the facility right so there can be really difficult facilities to work in but if you're part of a team that that values each other and is always trying to make things better, that could be an amazing working environment because you are overcoming the local challenges to treat patients as well as, as can possibly be treated within that context. Whereas the opposite is actually really toxic, right? So say you're in a fancy, you find this like fancy ER, but the group is really badly run and nothing's improving, And nobody's listening to you when you say, hey, like I got put on seven night shifts in a row and I don't feel like that's okay." And nobody listens to you. That's a far bigger problem than anything the facility can throw at you.
0: Yeah, I I think I mean, that last thing that you said is probably the one thing I didn't understand at all coming out of residency, but, you know, stumbled into a great situation. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, the employer matters so much, um, especially as you see now. Again, interesting times in vision, APP, like the, the structure of emergency medicine is um, really interesting, I think, as a business and also highly, highly, highly impactful um, to like the, the line doc. Um, now, now, lastly, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you because, uh, you know, we're talking about ER workforce. Um, for you, you obviously started ivy as a a side hustle like i mean er doctors love that right there's it's like why we do shift work um tell us about kind of startup life like what is that like what is it i if i'm not mistaken this has been ongoing for maybe a yearish or so like tell us just you know the highlights of the roller coaster i'm sure and you know what other er doctors can uh take away from your experience
1: yeah, so it, entrepreneurship certainly is uh, not for the faint of, of heart. So I started um, Ivy Clinicians with my co-founder Matt Simpson August of of twenty twenty one, and I actually threw myself a retirement party, a, a clinical retirement party. I was you know, I was only forty one years old at that at that point. But I threw myself a retirement party, and I was like, "I'm going all in on this entrepreneurship thing," and that lasted like six months. Because because both of us realized, a, I like doing clinical medicine, but also like it's essential for this business that I am still practicing. So now I do one one shift, uh, one shift a month. Sorry, one shift a week. So four to five shifts uh, per month, and what? Um, What I think is important for those considering entrepreneurship to realize is that's my only income, right? So for the last two years, I'm living off four to five shifts uh, per month in order to to start this this company because we're still pre-revenue with IV clinicians. So it is a really challenging process to start a company, but i have to say it is worth every every uh delayed penny hopefully delayed um it's worth every kind of uh 80 60 hour week whatever number of hour a week because it's creative right matt and i are creating things from scratch that make a big difference to um to emergency physicians and, and it's just fun creating something from nothing.
0: Yeah. And it it feels really different. Like for emergency medicine as, um, you know, a clinical practice, like, I don't know, a patient encounter lasts, like what, maybe four hours all in, like with some procedures to dispo. And then this is like the opposite. This is like very, 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 um, long-term. And what I, what I love about your story is that because you are, you know, an ER doctor who like kind of quote gets it, um, as you develop. IV, you know, you keep the tenants of ER doctors. Like you're about the ER doctor, you're about transparency. You don't sell doctor data. Like, and I think that um, is one of my my biggest accolades to you and why I've I've really loved seeing um, everything you're doing. So again, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, for our audience, they can of course check you out at IVclinicians.io or again um, your Newsletter is uh, one of my favorite things to see pop up on EM Docs, Twitter, et cetera. But it's Emergency Medicine Workforce Newsletter or emworkforce.substack.com. And I encourage everyone to check it out. And I hope, you know, it will be a better workforce for it. Well,
1: Amy, it's been a pleasure. And, and thanks for all you did.
0: One of my good friends told me a long time ago, if you're in medicine, you are in politics. And there's nothing more true in times of chaos, and in particular, in times of transition. And I think with the industry, with policies, with the business side of medicine that's really been under scrutiny in the past few weeks, that idea of if you're in medicine, you're in politics, like you need to be engaged, you need to advocate, has never been more true. Because a lot of these macroscopic things, these things happen in the policy world, are really starting to color our day to day. Now, in this month's magazine, we have more about workforce. In particular, we have a by the numbers on the structure of EM residencies that were matched or unfilled, if they're a corporate, community, partnership, et cetera. We also have the meet the candidates for the 2023 ASEP election preview. Now, again, if you're in medicine, you're in politics, so check out the contenders to lead the college because this is really going to shape what is emergency medicine in the future. And while you're at it, check out the four perfect days in Philly because ASAP Scientific Assembly, aka an amazing time to get engaged and of course, see your friends, enjoy Philly, learn from the lectures, that is right around the corner in October. Now that is it for us this month. As usual, we want to hear from you. Tweet us if you got an idea at ASAPNow now or feel free to tweet me direct at Hope. We would love to hear your thoughts and feedback and keep you tuning in. Thanks again, you guys. We will see you all next time.